Hello, everybody, and welcome to Tara and Andrew versus the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. I'm Tara. I'm Andrew. And this is the 37th in our 3,726-part series, wherein we select a movie at random from the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide, watch it, do some research, and tell you what we thought and what we learned. Yeah, and as long as it's a movie that neither of us have seen, we are required, the, the law requires us to watch the movie. The law of the guide. Yes. Uh, the scarecrow law. Yes. You're, you're all familiar. But, uh, you know, you may be saying, how do we know that you're not just uh, faking that, just cherry-picking whatever movies you guys feel like you can actually stand to watch? Well, I would point you to our previous episode, Funny Girl, as proof that we are not doing that, because I don't think either one of us necessarily would have been champing at the bit to uh, no. watch that. We're musical tolerant. Yeah. But it was fine. It was fine. But... Bleh. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the cases where the story behind the movie is actually more interesting than the movie itself, or at least the uh, the real-life scenarios. Right, right, right. Situation. Like, uh, Nicky Arnstein was a piece of garbage. If they'd made him more true to his actual character, I think it would have been a much more interesting movie. Although I doubt that it could have been made. Uh, into a musical, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, anyway, uh, for this episode is Tara's turn to pick. So I will start to flip through the guide. So you have picked Blue Collar from 1978. Oh, Paul Schrader. Huh. So, the movie guide says, Three frustrated auto workers rob their union safe and end up with some incriminating information. Their blackmail scheme destroys their friendship and their lives. Uh, Schrader's directorial debut, after writing Taxi Driver and others, about powerless blue-collar workers is an engrossing condemnation of corrupt unions. The three leads, Pryor, Keitel, and Kato, are excellent. They seem to share a genuine friendship that makes the film's final betrayals. Okay, so. Oh, great. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Died. Um... That makes the film's final betrayals even more devastating. Schrader spends a lot of time developing the characters, their relationships, and the factory life atmosphere. Watch this in a double feature with Roger and me and prepare to be pissed at the auto industry. Uh, oh, there's a second review. Or oh. comment. That's a, that's a first. So the, the other person that contributed to the guide said that much of the response to this film centers on Pryor's dramatic turn as Zeke Brown, a jive-talking would-be radical who ends up ratting out his buddies to save his own butt. Compelling as Pryor's performance may be, Schrader's overwrought script often mocks their blue-collar heroes by injecting superfluous religious metaphors. Yes, one of the three main characters gets crucified. Okay, Oh my on, god! Guide. Uh, What's with the spoilers? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, okay, Schrader's best work as a screenwriter, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, has always tried to incorporate a Calvinist upbringing with a street-smart sensibility, but with Blue Collar, his intuition as director often leads this film to loaded speeches and abysmal cliché. So, well... two, uh, two conflicting opinions there. I'm not, like... Put off we're kind of 50 50 with paul schrader's yeah. movies um for sure like <laughs> first reformed is good a another unnamed movie we cannot discuss was not not, good. not very good i guess we'll, we'll see how it turns out yeah maybe we'll have 
two very different readings between us. Maybe. To even it out. Yeah. Continue with divisiveness. <laughs> Let's <laughs> shake on it. That all, I'm sure, translates very well to the podcast. Yes, well, some stuff is just for us. You gotta put something in there for Dan. <laughs> just thinking that. Fucking Don DeMillo. <laughs> uh. We'll be back with our thoughts and opinions on Blue Collar after this musical interlude. Everybody, we're back having watched Blue Collar. Yep. <laughs> we're back. We're back. We're back. Coming nah. ah. at you. Hot opinions on movie from 1978. <laughs> Super relevant in 2018. Kind of is kind of actually now. Not not relevant. Yeah. Um. We'll just move right into the pre-spoiler rating section of the podcast uh so we're rating the movie on a five point scale ranging from don't watch to maybe don't watch to eh, to maybe watch and then finally the pinnacle don't not watch do you have a rating in mind kind of i'm sort of torn between two so i'm just gonna go with okay just whatever your mouth says at the uh, yeah at the moment okay <laughs> so on the count of three one two three Maybe don't not watch. watch. All right. Well, that kind of evens out. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see going a little lower too, because it's it's not without its problems. But uh, I I liked it quite a bit. Yeah, me too, for sure. I know that we kind of had some apprehensions going into this, having seen a good Paul Schrader movie and then a not quite as good Paul Schrader movie. But yeah, in the past, in the past, I but mean, I'm, yeah, um, we've seen more than one Paul Schrader movie. Just yes, to be clear, yes. like or more than two Paul Schrader movies. Before yeah. This. Um, um, so in conclusion, Paul Schrader is a land of contrasts. I think. He'll, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we we realized uh, after the fact that he he wrote this screenplay for The Last Temptation of Christ, which we also liked an awful lot. So yeah. um, he's done a lot of he's done a lot of a lot of movies, a lot of di- like diverse. A lot of, he's done a lot of screenwriting in addition to directing. So yeah, Paul Schrader. Yeah, seems all right. Get, seems all right. Get, Overall, worth checking out. Let me as well just move straight into talking about the plot. The movie opens up in the the Checkers auto making plant, uh, and we're introduced to our three protagonists. I know he's drinking loudly. I'm just gonna keep talking. You, you might be able to hear our cat drinking water in the background, uh, but sorry, he just he's a he's a thirsty boy. So, podcast Stanley the podcat. So we are introduced to our three protagonists, uh, Zeke, Jerry, and Smokey, um, who all work in the plant together. And it doesn't seem like a great place to work, exactly. They, uh, their their boss seems like a real dick to them. Like, they, I forget who it is that goes to him with a complaint, but he's just like, yeah, whatever, go talk to your union rep about it, and just blows him off. Shows them kind of working on the plat, and then it shows them going to one of their union meetings. And Zeke, played by Richard Pryor, gets up, and he's talking about how he's had this problem with his locker at work that nobody is taking care of. He's It's gotten to the point where like the lock doesn't work at all, so he's had to stick his finger into the hole for the lock, and he's cut it up pretty bad. And the steward uh, of their union is not concerned, really, about it at all. He just kind of blows him off, like, thinking, oh, we need we need to come at them with something big, not just some 
small potatoes thing about you cutting your finger on a locker or whatever. And so uh, Zeke is pretty unhappy with that, understandably. Yeah, as There's, you would be. But they're all just kind of falling in line behind the union because they kind of have to, it, it seems like. And so we see them after the meeting at a bar, and the, the three of them are hanging around, talking with some ladies, and this dude comes up and he's like, Oh, hey, uh, I'm like a professor of a nearby college, and I just wanted to ask you some questions about your, your union and get get some information on it. And so they're like, oh, okay, we'll, we'll talk to you. And then they quickly realize, I think Smokey realizes, oh, yeah. that like this guy's not a professor. He's he's trying to dig around and get information on it. He's with the police or with the, the feds or something. And um, so they're like, oh, okay, we're not going to talk to you at all you can buy us some beers that's fine you can stay here and buy us these beers so then we later on see zeke at home with his wife and and their kids and they're watching tv and um zeke's complaining about what's on the tv and his wife's like well why don't you turn it off then if you don't like it and he's like no we have to watch every goddamn thing (laughs) that's on this tv it took me three years to pay for it yeah so we're watching whatever they show. Yeah. Even if it's static, we're watching the goddamn static. Right. I guess we should like say really quickly, Richard Pryor is really great in the movie. I thought Oh yeah. He's, yeah. He's, like everybody's good, but he's like especially Yeah. Good. Um maybe not so great to work with as we'll, well discuss we'll, later. We'll but talk with that a little bit later. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. But yeah, so he's like in the middle of this conversation mm. and like making the comment about how long he had to work to be able to pay to buy a TV. So that uh, cue a knock on the door, and it's a guy from the IRS saying, you know, he needs to look into some discrepancies with Zeke's tax filings. And so first off, we learn that Zeke claimed that he had six children instead of three yeah. uh, to try and get bigger deductions on his taxes. And so the tax guy's like, well, obviously I'm not seeing six kids here, and I couldn't find birth certificates for all six kids, so (laughs) you're done trying to pull one over on us. We gotcha. And then there was uh, something else, I think, where he worked on a a painting job or something, and he didn't file any taxes for it. So the guy's like, you have to claim everything, you have to file for every single dollar you earned, and so... I calculate this all together you owe us like two thousand something dollars and zeke's just like how the fuck am i gonna get this money i was just complaining about how hard it was to buy a tv right like obviously they're not like rolling in the dough so next we move up to seeing jerry and his home life so jerry's at having dinner with his wife and their son and he's like oh where's our daughter and the wife's like, oh, just leave her alone. She's had a rough day. He's like, no, 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 no. And so he goes and calls his daughter to come down and takes a look at her. And something's, like, really fucked up with her mouth. He's like, what happened to you? And she, like, runs away crying. And so Jerry's wife explains that she tried to make fake braces out of, like, paper clips. Yeah. Because she needs braces really badly. Yeah. So she cut her mouth up, like, super bad with but- these paper clips. So she needed braces, like, desperately. Right. And Jerry obviously isn't able to afford it. And so now he's like, well, I have to figure out some way to do it. Like, make her an appointment for tomorrow because I can't let this keep going on. It made me think of The Simpsons. Oh, Lisa needs braces. Dental plan. Lisa needs braces. 
Dano plant. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe this was like the inspiration. Yeah, for that. that's what I was, I was wondering. It. Like it seems like a little bit of a stretch, but it, it, it definitely brought that to mind. For yeah, sure. totally. Like basically, we get the idea that all these guys are working their butts off at a job where they're not treated super well, and they're barely making ends meet. So Zeke decides, since uh, at the union meeting he wasn't getting any help with his locker situation, that he would go down to the union office in person and make a complaint directly to um, the higher-ups. So Zeke goes to the office and he talks to the main union dude about the situation and the guy pretends to call the steward and is like, you gotta get this fixed. Yeah. And clearly he's just like trying to blow Zeke off. Right. So anyway, Zeke's like on his way out and he realizes, hang on, what's this little area with all this stuff inside of it? And he gets the idea like, we've got an opportunity to rob these fuckers who aren't helping us. Right. There's clearly a safe back there. Yeah, and like the security is pretty lax. Yeah, there's like one old security dude who just is like hanging out. So he's like, hmm, Hmm. just gonna file that away. Yeah. And just uh, take off. They, they cut to Zeke back at his place in bed with his wife. And then he, so like, oh, uh, I gotta get up. I gotta go. What is it? Like, he just says, he's gotta go help Jerry with the, one of the gas pumps or something. And yeah. And his wife was like, well, why are you Because wear- Jerry's working two jobs. Yeah, Jerry works at uh, the gas station as well as the auto plant. And his wife was like, well, why are you wearing your nice new pants then? And like, <laughs> what are, what, why would you do that to go just like help with the gas pump? And he's like, uh, I, gotta, I gotta go. See ya. And he rushes <laughs> off. And then, uh. Zeke yeah, Jerry, Jerry gives up. some story to his wife, too. Right, and it's obvious that they're getting all fancied up, and they go over to, to Smokey's place, and it is hedonistic as shit there. Yep. Like, it's, uh, they're doing cocaine, and there's a orgy, and they're, like, there for several hours. Like, all night. Yeah. All night. Like, yeah. 6.30 a.m. <laughs> and and they, they wake up, uh, or they're still up, probably, since they're probably doing cocaine. Probably still up. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. That's when uh, Zeke mentions his idea to, uh, to rob the union. And they're like, huh, well, if the security is as lacking as you say it is, then it might be worth our while to, to give it a shot. You know, the best laid plans happen when you're all coked up at 6.30 <laughs> yeah, in the morning. right. And so they go in there and they're like, oh, let's, here's the safe. Let's get it out of here. And, um, and then they realize that the security guard is coming back on patrol and they hide in the closet and then... After, like, a minute or so, they come out wearing these goofy-ass disguises. Like, eyes on spring. Yeah, Smokey's wearing glasses with, like, the, the spring <laughs> eyes. And then Zeke has goofy teeth. And, uh, and the, like, the hat with, like, the little spike. Oh, yeah, the beanie. The yeah. beanie, and, yeah. And Jerry has, like, an arrow through his head and stuff. So, like, great disguises, guys. Well, yeah, to get him from, like, the equivalent of the dollar store. That's right, that's right. That's, yeah, Smokey had gotten him. <laughs> They conk the guard on the head, they get out of there, and then uh, they they go back to the uh, the auto plant and use some of the machinery there to bust open the safe, and they realize, oh, there's, like, almost no money in here. There's, like, $600 and just a bunch of paperwork, and... Um, yeah, I think they had been expecting, like... Several six, thousand. S- like, 6,000. Yeah. Something like that. So they're pretty unhappy with this, and they're dividing up their, their stakes... Zeke is like, all right, I'm going to take the safe. We'll toss it. I've my, my brother lives by the dump. And so he can just leave it there. And, and so he takes it home. And then he's looking through the 
contents of the safe again and he finds this notebook like a, a ledger basically and he's looking through it and he realizes oh there's a lot of weird transactions listed here for a lot more money than it seems like the union should have and they realize that there's some some shady ass business going on with the union and decide to use that as a means to get the money that they want by by blackmailing the union so Zeke basically tells Smokey and uh, Jerry about this notebook he's found and like, you know, what should we do with it? We can do something. This has got to be worth something. Like we could blackmail them or we could leak it or something. So they're like, oh, I don't know. Let's let's think about it. So Zeke then decides like, okay, we're, I'm going to let the union know we have this somehow. And so they hatch up this plan for how they're going to blackmail the union and they're kind of waiting on the payment. So Smokey's just out hanging out at a bar and he's kind of hanging out by himself when he sees these two weird looking dudes, like one dude's just like, he wasn't an albino. But I was he, just gonna say, he was almost albino. He was like, like an almost albino. His hair and his eyebrows were all like super white and weird. And he had this like bright red jacket on. I don't know, with this like other goon. So, Smokey realizes that they're talking about beating up Jerry's wife. He goes over, he sneaks over to the payphone and calls Jerry's house and talks to his wife. And he's like, Jerry split his pants. He asked if he could come bring him a replacement pair. He's over at the gas station. So grab the kids and go bring him a new pair of pants right now. So then at that point, Smokey immediately leaves the bar to get over to Jerry's place. So he can make sure that nobody is actually there. The not-albino guy and generic goon get to Jerry's house and Smokey just beats the crap out of them on the front lawn. <laughs> he's like, okay, so who sent you? Who sent you? And he's given a name eventually. Yeah. But he's had to, like, break one of their legs and beat him pretty badly. Pretty badly. At this point, you know, Smokey's got some information on who's trying to go after them. And he's working at the plant. Dog shit Miller or some dude tells Smokey he needs to go work in the paint room. There is like something that needs to be fixed. So he goes into this room and it's like this sort of like closed area where you paint the body of, a, of cars. And so he's in there. He's got his equipment on and then the paint thing starts to malfunction. And it's just like it won't stop running at all. So it's just like the room is just getting filled with all this paint. In the meantime, a guy blocked the door with a forklift or something yeah so Smokey's just like stuck in the room and he's trying to escape trying to pound for help but it's so noisy in the auto factory nobody can hear him he tries to break a window to get out and he just ends up dying yeah and it's it's pretty it's gruesome yeah like it's like a couple of minutes of him stumbling around in the, the painting room and just like becoming more and more disoriented and it's Ugh. rough to watch not bloody or anything necessarily no. but it, it's pretty gnarly all the same yeah it'd be an awful way to die yeah that but, like panicking and yeah being trapped and ugh. yeah I, yeah so it's pretty awful so uh smokies died in pretty pretty suspicious circumstances yeah and so zeke has been talking to the union guys and he's They've basically kind of offered him this union position to be the new steward. And he's, he's taken the job. He hasn't really told anybody yet. But then he finds out that Smokey's suspiciously died at the plant somehow. And he's like, oh, bullshit. Like, they, they murdered him. That's obviously what had happened here. 
And so he meets them, the head of the union, on an overpass, and the, the union head is just like, that's just the way things are done, you know? That's part of being in part of the union, you know? You thought it was going to be simple. Yeah. You gotta know when to turn and look away. Right. So Zeke is just left to kind of deal with that. Um, so later, uh, Jerry meets up with Zeke, and they're talking, and, and Jerry just is wanting to get revenge pretty badly. He's out for blood, and, and Zeke is like, well, you know... Just hold back, you know, they, I got this job with the union, I feel like I can really make a change there, and we'll, I can make things better, and I can get you this new position that's going to open up as a result of dog shit Miller getting fired because of Smokey's death, and Jerry just isn't having any of it, he's just still out to get his revenge, and, and um, Zeke is like, look, man, I'm black this is about as good an opportunity as i'm ever gonna have like there you have better odds of getting further ahead than i do but this is something that i have to take advantage of and they will not hesitate to fuck with me yeah it's, in the future yeah so it, it's a totally legitimate point so they're backed into a corner they really don't have a lot of options left he's uh kind of painted into a corner you might say podcast cancelled so Jerry you know, like realizes that Zeke is not on his side in this and But Zeke's telling Jerry he's he's gonna try and make sure that he and his family are safe. Yeah. Like he's like, I made them promise me that you guys are gonna be okay. And Jerry's like, I can't trust that. Yeah, yeah. Also a valid point. Also right? valid. So um Jerry meets up with the law enforcement, whoever it is, that they had talked to in the bar at the start of the movie and the the guy he's with the fbi or something yeah so the the guy is like you really just need to help us out with this like we will protect you we'll keep you and your family safe but you you got to tell us what you know with regards to the, the union being corrupt and jerry's just like no i don't know and he, he turns him down and, and it's like he's he has two <laughs> options he can either you know side with zeke and hopefully be protected that way or he can get work with the police and the law enforcement and be potentially protected that way and he chooses neither of them it's like, we're just like what the yeah, fuck are you doing dude I mean, he sends his wife and the kids off like off to, to canada and then he decides like i i should get out of here too i think i'm gonna go try to join up with them and so he's driving along and then a car pulls up alongside him and they like shoot at him and he's like oh fuck and so he's trying to escape and, and they're chasing him and then eventually he gets into a... He gets into a car crash in front of a cop who was driving by. Yeah. Thankfully. Yeah. And and they bust him and take him into custody. The next thing we see is like he's being walked in, back into the plant with a, a police accompaniment, I guess, to like get his stuff out of the locker or whatever, to get his things. It seemed like they, they might be going there to try to... Confront somebody. Confront somebody, but it wasn't... Yeah, it could be. And Zeke sees him, and they get into a pretty nasty fight. Like, Zeke is accusing him of being a turncoat to the the union and whatever, and and Jerry is dropping N-bombs and accusing Zeke of selling out just as badly. And then they lunge at each other and freeze frame, and that's the end. End of movie. End of movie. Aww. Ugh. Friends for life. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. 
So, yeah, I mean, it was really well done. Yafit Kato, Harvey Keitel, Richard Pryor, they all do really good jobs, I think. Yeah, and since we're on the topic of that, what was really surprising afterward is, like, they had such good chemistry in the film, and it seems like they would be really tight. Um, It turns out that they were fighting a lot. They did not get along off screen. Yeah, it sounds... Um, And it might have been more Richard Pryor not getting along with the other two, because... Uh, you don't really hear anything about like Harvey Keitel and Yafet Kato. No, you don't hear problems. about the two of them having issues, but you did hear about Richard Pryor not getting along well with the others. And I think part of that, as I read, he was actually on a lot of coke at the time. Yeah. In real life. Which, yeah, I mean, that's kind of um, one of the things that he's he's known for. Is, uh, yeah. Is... So he was, you know, so that would come into play. And then additionally, he would do things like try to improvise lines as they were acting and like it'd screw things up for everybody else because they were it wasn't that kind of film they were supposed to be yeah. delivering the lines as written not right. like not improv improving all over the place and yeah. so it would just like cause all these issues so on top of it prior at one point ended up pulling a gun on schrader saying i'm not gonna do any more than three takes on a scene and if you make me do a fourth i'll kill you <laughs> Like, cool. Well, maybe A, if you would, like, actually deliver the lines as written, maybe you wouldn't have to do more than three takes. Yeah. But, um... Well, you know, Richard three takes prior, that's what they call him. So that's that's what his nickname was. Yeah. You use one of the three if you don't. Fuck you. Yeah. Um, so, unsurprisingly, this, uh, fucked up Schrader pretty badly mentally, and he had a breakdown on set at some point during the making of the movie. And he altogether was really questioning, you know, should I actually be making films? And not surprising, because this is his first time directing a film, and for it to be, like, this rough. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. my god. And so, like, Richard Pryor was totally fucking with Schrader. He would say things like, the first white man I ever met came to my mother's house just to fuck her, and you remind me of him. So... Uh, that's uh, a comfortable, very comfortable atmosphere that must have oh my god i mean i don't know how many our listeners are familiar with like richard pryor's upbringing and he had a pretty fucking terrible childhood um he grew up in his grandmother's brothel his mother was a prostitute and he'd been sexually abused himself when he was a kid and so like pretty just all around awful upbringing like his grandmother treated him really poorly as well his mother took off at some point when he was like 10 so you know not surprising that he might have some issues related to that but still like it must have been so hard to work with him but but it's like it makes it that much more remarkable that the movies turned out as good as it did and the performances seemed like so well done yeah like the guide i think mentions like they really do have a good strong chemistry in the movie um and you know it, it's weird because nobody really talks about this movie like i mean paul schrader is no. mostly known for taxi driver and and raging bull and this one really like it was really well received i think i saw gene siskel rated at number four on his list of movies for that year but nobody it's like kind of unknown it's... almost these days back then it maybe didn't get the marketing that it deserved because they leaned super heavily on richard Pryor being in the movie 
he does a great job in it so you know that's and it's not as a typical comedic role that he'd been known for up until then so i can kind of get them wanting to like really sell it on that angle yeah highlight that but the fucking movie poster has two pictures of richard pryor and no pictures of anybody else it's like they're doing the tragedy <laughs> comedy yeah. with richard pryor's face yeah and and then like there's a quote about how it's you know different from his usual comedic roles on the <laughs> like, poster no as well I'm like okay <laughs> yeah like uh, there's uh some article that i was reading about it that mentioned that uh, they thought one of the reasons why it's not as well known these days is because it just really was treated as a, a Richard Pryor vehicle and that would kind of back that up. It seemed like it was a tough sell to an extent for producers back then uh, when Paul Schrader was pitching the idea to a movie executive he was telling them you know what the, the plot was t- talking about how like the three main characters there were there's one white guy and two black guys and the executive was like uh, I think you mean two white guys and one black guy right? Like eh. Cool. Yeah, cool. Fucking, yeah. Gives cool. you gives you an idea as to what things were like back then. And still are, I would assume, to an extent. Yeah. Yeah. But what was interesting is so this is a quote where that he gave to Senas, I guess, magazine in nineteen seventy eight that he didn't set out to make a left wing film. He said, I had no visions of making this into a concrete political thing. It had to operate in the area of entertainment. I wanted to write a movie about some guys who rip off their union because it seemed to me such a wonderfully self-hating kind of act that they would attack the organization that's supposed to help them. It's interesting he says that, like, I mean, I, I don't know how much of it was like, oh yeah, we're going to make the scene corrupt just to serve the plot of the film versus, like, that something yeah. that was, that he knew what was going on or well i like read something where he had actually talked to people at like a couple of dudes at a that worked at an auto plant mm. and they were like yeah our bosses just treat us like shit but our unions are the only people worse than our bosses in terms of how they treat us mm. so it, it was based on at least that yeah anecdote so it wasn't totally that made up sense. out of whole cloth yeah um, I, and i figured it wasn't yeah but it's just like i, I find it kind of interesting like that he He'd gone at it from, like, that take of wanting to make this movie where it was just like, oh my god, these guys are fucking themselves over, really, robbing their own union. Yeah. And then it ends up being more like this whole commentary on the working class and the shit that they go through. Yeah. And how even the organizations that are supposed to be there to support them are doing nothing for them except making themselves rich in a way by doing all these illegal things. Yeah. I just want to state on the record that uh, I'm a union member and I like my union very much. So yes. <laughs> please uh, do not lock me in, in, in a painting room at <laughs> one of the hospitals that I do support for. Um, yeah, yeah we're very... not we're not anti union no, people at I'm, all. I'm very I'm very pro union, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Last thing that I wanted to mention it's it's kind of uh, well actually, but not really. Looking on IMDb, as we do, um, I was looking at the, the trivia section, and somebody, some unknown person, since it's all anonymously submitted, apparently, <laughs> gave us this uh, this gem. When Zeke, Jerry, and Smokey are discussing where to dispose of the safe they stole, Zeke says that he has a brother who works at the dump where they can get rid of it. Not true. Uh, <laughs> he lives by the dump, not uh, works for it, but anyways. Moving along, um, they say... 
In Pulp Fiction, Harvey Keitel's character helped two men dispose of something at an auto wrecking yard, a dump for whole cars. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's not that's trivia. That's like two different unrelated points that you're making that just for two movies that happen to share an actor. That's, He's trying to like put this thread in, in between like Richard Pryor's line and like Harvey Keitel in a totally different movie in the yeah, future talking yeah. about disposing of something at an auto wrecking yard yeah like oh well, let's dispose of this at a dump. oh my god you guys <laughs> this rabbit hole goes so deep <laughs> let's we're gonna unravel this stuff and, like, i don't I, i'm sure like quentin tarantino has seen blue collar there's a, a good chance that he's seen it there's a very good chance that he has seen it but uh yeah don't <laughs> oh. don't think that that was an allusion to yeah i mean tarantino is known for like referencing other movies that he likes and and stylistically or making references somehow but it's not going to be something as stupid as oh i'm going to dispose of something at an auto wrecking yard hey guys did you pick up that that's a reference back to when richard pryor says in blue collar that his his brother lives near a dump (laughs) by that logic every single movie that quentin tarantino has made is full of references to blue collar that we just haven't figured out yet oh god so unsurprisingly only two out of 17 people found that piece of trivia interesting i'm surprised that two people found yeah that interesting it's, it was yeah probably, for those like pity likes yeah that, that guy and, and his mother probably were like oh yeah. i need to support my son in his trivia IMDb <laughs> trivia posting. His, his anonymous imdb yeah. trivia posting i know his uh poorly connected strings of logic anywhere that's that's definitely his <laughs> uh, oh. okay so that was blue collar Yay! Yay. So, uh, if you want to keep on top of what we're doing in terms of episodes and, and things like that, you can follow our group on Facebook, uh, the Taryn Andrew vs. the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide Facebook group, or go to our, our website, TarynAndrewVersus.com. We're on Twitter, um, for the time being. Just as an aside, fuck Jack Dorsey. I'll just throw that out there. Yep. And... Um, you can send us, if you have any comments or recommendations, you can send us an email at terranandrewverses at gmail.com. Uh, we're also on Instagram at terranandrewverses. Yes. If you want to see occasional photos or movie posters being shared there. I would like to say, on behalf of the both of us, thank you to the Seattle Band Boat for allowing us to use their terrific song, Lately, off the album Setting the Paces. Yeah, don't don't speak for me. Um, I also would like to say <laughs> thanks to the Seattle Band Boat uh, for letting us use their song. <laughs> yeah. thank, thank you, Boat. But no thanks for not letting us use somebody else's song. <laughs> uh, the tone kind of like yeah. you were going for, I think. I would have liked to use Hey Jude as our... But you guys did not... Fuck you, Bo, not letting us <laughs> use Hey Jude. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't help us work that out, huh? No, seriously. Thanks, Bo. Thank you, Bo. Um, and then, of course, uh, we want to encourage everybody to support your local independent video store in Seattle. If you're in that area, obviously, Scarecrow Video is great. If you're not in Seattle, there are, I'm sure, almost as good video stores near you if you're in a metropolitan type area so um yeah they need and deserve your support yeah on that note until next time catch you later potato potato hags. hags